Our scripture lesson is Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 24, found on pages 2 and 3 in your pew Bible in the Old Testament. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor touch it, or you shall die. The serpent, but the ser- serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of your you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have it, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me. She gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals, among all wild creatures, Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Let Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And and to the man he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all who lived, 
And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which it was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. So with pulpit players, you get a the pulpit players, you get a longer scripture, but you get a shorter sermon. So don't clap, please. So I was driving earlier this week, I think it was a Monday, in southeast Denver near like Islaf and Quebec. It's a it's a less than inspiring part of our fair city. It's with some less than inspired strip mall stores, you know, there's a vape shop and a Wings stop and the gas station, the thrift store that I had just come from. It's a part of town that feels like the, like the color has been sucked out of it. You know, it's just all asphalt and steel and gray tones. And as I sat there in traffic wondering how we collectively came to accept that this, this is the best that we can do, I saw them there on, on my left, a couple sitting down, reclining, actually, on the median between the east and west traffic. He, with his back against a metal pole, making kind of a half-hearted attempt to hold up his cardboard sign, and she sitting between his legs, leaning against him like, like a couple on the beach on a lazy weekend. Except that it was clear that they had been living out of doors uh, for some time. Frankly, I don't know that I've ever seen two people that dirty. Their clothes, their, their hair, their skin were all just varying shades of brown. So much so that it was hard to distinguish between their limbs and they reminded me of, of, of a pile of leaves or a pile of pine straw or something that you would discard by the side of the road, which of course they had been. And I'm sure it was because I was reflecting on the scripture for this sermon that I thought right then, there they are. There's Adam and Eve. The primordial couple still together, still maybe in love, as brown as the muddy ground from which they rose and still in exile from Eden so far um, and abandoned from God and from the world. And I wondered, how did this, how did this happen? You know, did, what was their story? What were the, the decisions and the events and the, the losses that had led to this time that they were so far from Eden? And I drove on and the couple, though, they, they stayed with me as I wondered 
what it was like to have one's suffering so, uh, so laid bare so publicly. You know, most of us manage to nurse our shames more privately, keep our dirty laundry behind closed doors, our failures and our mistakes and our disappointments, we keep them more hidden, although we too know what it's like to be far from Eden, I suppose. And Eden, to me, is a, is a really fascinating, complicated concept. The whole idea that the world was ever at one time uh, perfect, right? unspoiled by the messes that we make. And the lure of Eden, I think, is this possibility that we could go back to it. We could just have a second chance at things. Maybe then, knowing how fragile the world really is, how easily things can go wrong, we would, we, we would be more careful second time around. We would take better care of this planet. We would take better care of each other. You remember the do-over? You know, in fifth grade, kickball, and maybe the roller rolled the ball too soon, or the kicker wasn't paying attention, and everybody starts blaming each other. It's your fault. It's your fault. And someone, before things get out of hand, yells that most beautiful phrase from kiddom, do-over. It's a do-over. There's something about Eden. It's a, it's a do-over. This chance to go back to things when they were new and fresh. You know, there's nothing better than something new, right? A new car or a new relationship or a new baby. And that special time outside of time, really, before we, you know, before we mess it up. I think about young couples all promise and future when they first meet. No idea what they're getting into. And I think of long-time couples and how things change. And still full of beauty and love so often, and maybe more so because of the years. But also full now of hurts, uh, shames, whole topics that are just off limits. They're, they're just too painful. A couple, someone feels too exposed to talk about it. So we cover them like Adam and Eve covered themselves. We hide from each other. Marriages develop pockets of, of exile. Places you don't go. Or I think of, of parenting. All the times I would love to have a do-over. Oh my gosh, what I would like, how much I would like to have some of those moments back. Flashes of, of anger in me that I, I didn't know I was capable of. I mean, really, things, things I am still to this day, I feel I carry shame about. I can't forgive myself. It's part of parenting. And these are just some of the regrets and the hurts that we all carry inside of us, that life just, it's just a part of being alive. And, and they can leave us feeling on the inside as dirt crusted as that couple that I saw looked on the outside. And just as far from feeling that we 
have any chance at Eden. And so, but where is the hope then if, if Eden is behind us and, and there's no do-overs? Right? Where's the hope now that we've already made a mess of things? I think it's a really important theological question for us. Have you ever gone to a, to a yard sale and, and near the end of it, when most people have gone home because, because it looks like there's just a bunch of junk left, uh, the owner starts to put, put stuff all together, right? Puts it in all, everything in one box or everything on one table, and they sell the whole thing for whatever they can get. Right? There's, always, there's always some old codger who's been waiting for all day for that moment, right? And he looks through the boxes and he says, yeah, yeah, I can, I can do something with this, right? I, I'll take this. I'll take the whole box. I think God's like that. And I think that's where our hope is. Now, there's a fancy theological word for this. It's called redemption. And like the voice of God so beautifully says in Isaiah, I have swept away your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And I know redemption may, have, may be a loaded word for you if you grow up in a certain brand of Christianity. Because Christianity got sideways with this idea, I think when it started to insist that you had to do something in order to be worthy of redemption. You had to believe in Jesus in a certain way. You had to live with a certain kind of purity. But the whole point of redemption is that we don't tend to get it right. If we got it right, we wouldn't need redemption. And to redeem something, it just means to buy it back. To purchase especially something that others don't value. That's what redeem means. Like when I was a kid, I used, to, I used to search the bushes and the trash cans in my little town in Kentucky looking for pop bottles that other people had thrown away because you could, you could redeem the bottle for five cents down at the grocery store. Set it right on the bottle. And I guess I'm trying to say God, I think, is in the redemption business. And I know in the story of the Garden of Eden that we read, it looks by how fast God throws them out of the garden that maybe God is in the trash business, not the redemption business. But I've come to think that the Garden of Eden story is really a story that's less about who God is or what God is like and more about who we fear God is. We're so worried that if we do the wrong thing, God is, is just waiting to, to get us, you know, kick us out. And we spend our lives trying, trying to, I think, impress God at some level because we think God's just waiting for us to mess up. And what if that's just totally wrong? What if it's just totally wrong? In fact, the opposite is true. What if, what if God, far from being this harsh judge that's ready to declare us guilty, spends her time searching the bushes 
for the abandoned pop bottles that we are. Looking to redeem us. Tell us we have value. I mean, so many of the gospel stories, they're about, about finding the lost, right? The lost coin and the, the lost sheep. The, the prodigal son. And all the traditionally lost, the lepers, the prostitutes, the poor, the blind. It's story after story after story of finding the lost. Of saying they have value. You know, when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and He instructs them after they're all done, He says, he says go and, and gather up all the pieces so that none will be lost. I think maybe He's talking about something more than breadcrumbs and fish bones. I think Jesus, He became known as the great Redeemer. right? The great buybacker. He was the one who who was searching the bushes for people. And whoever we are and whatever burdens we carry and however, however dirty we may look or feel, can we dare to believe that God in Jesus Christ is always searching for us and always gathering up the fragments of our messy, messy lives and always seeing something valuable there where either we or the world just see trash. Always saying, yeah, I'll buy it. I'll take the whole box.